All right, good evening. My name is Kerry Alderson. I'm one of the pastors here at Edgewater. We are going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And to start, um, I want to share a little video clip with you guys. You may have seen it going around. <laughs> so that was, a, that was a beaver that's in rehab. And yeah, so they're taking care of it. And it is just instinctually instinctively, I should say, doing what it was created to do. When your senior pastor went to Oregon State and his beaver, if there's a beaver video floating around out there, you go ahead and show it, you know? So, um, obviously, the beauty of God's creation and, and the purpose that that creature is fulfilling, we're gonna discuss that a little bit tonight. But 2 Corinthians chapter five, tonight we have a guarantee, a gift, and a job that we're gonna discuss. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the message we heard last week. Just a reminder, Lord, in our weakness, that's when you're strong. Thank you for a couple weeks ago, even James talking about uh, being ministers of the new covenant and just how freeing that is to consider that it's Jesus plus nothing. It's just Jesus. And so uh, tonight, Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts concerning this next section of Scripture as we consider uh, what it means to be an earthly tent, as we think about our future with you in eternity, as we think about our time here on earth and our calling and our job and what we are to do and, and what you have done already in our lives. I pray that we would be encouraged. Pray that you would be blessed tonight. Pray that you would be glorified. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight's chapter, it kind of, it's one of those weird chapter breaks where it probably should be more included with what ended last week where, um, like I said, Dan was talking about jars of clay and really the temporal dwelling that our bodies are. And the flow of this chapter kind of starts off talking about that and then our future building that the Lord is preparing for us. And then it goes into us being, or this ministry, this next ministry that we see in 2 Corinthians, um, that we have the ministry of reconciliation. It talks about us being ambassadors. And so the flow of that, as I was thinking about this chapter, it feels like that's kind of where our life has been as a family the last few years. I would venture to guess a lot of people that I know in the church community has kind of been in a similar spot. It feels like we've been awakened in the last few years to yeah, life is pretty fragile and we're not gonna be here forever. And then as we've kind of come out of that season, we've kind of held on tight and we made it through and now we're kind of looking around and we're, thank you, Lord, for what you've done in our lives and we're kind of re-energized. I know us in our home as a family, we're kind of re-energized. I feel the message, the messages right now that Matt's going through on Sundays, it kind of has the same theme. Like we have a purpose and a, and a goal here for this community to see the kingdom built in Grant's Pass. But first we're gonna start in verse one, chapter five. Paul says, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, not a tent, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, the literal translation of that is he sighed, he sighed. For in this tent, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. 
If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Paul's one of the few that when he talks about death, he also talks about life. He finishes this little section right here by saying in verse five, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us, literally means gifted us, the spirit as a guarantee. That's our guarantee is the spirit, that these things, that this is true, what he speaks about. Making the comparison that our lives as he talks about in the, this closing section that, that Dan taught on last week, man, our lives are fragile. And these bodies, these dwelling places that we're in right now, they're just tents. I know tents are kind of a touchy subject in the state of Oregon, especially in Grants Pass. I don't know why I'm, that's on my docket for tonight. I actually, side note, I don't want to be a complainer. I did drive through the park the other day. I could not believe how many tents there were. I could not believe it. I haven't been down there in a while. But tents are so temporary. When we were kids, we camped literally like every weekend. If we were not hunting in the woods, we were fishing at the coast or on the river. And I have a brother. And so my brother and I, our job, dad would make us put the tent up. And I never realized how temporary they were until multiple trips to the coast in winter and spring Harris Beach, no matter what the weather was, dad wanted to go camping. And we would put the tent up and it would get absolutely drenched and blown around and windy. And I determined that the best tent that you can get is the one that is still in the box on the shelf. Yeah. Um, but he contrasts that with our, our eternity being this building that will last that will undoubtedly be far more worthy and lasting and beautiful. Talks about being with the Lord. Um, <clears throat> now, of course, Paul is mentioning our flesh here. If you're over 35 years old, you have felt how temporary the flesh is. But also, there's a spiritual groaning here as well, because even on our best day, even on our best days, we have this thing about us where we realize this is great. This was amazing. This was awesome. And this is temporary. This is not what we're here for, ever for. But also, it says to put on, <clears throat> it says, sorry, put on heavenly dwelling, like coming home from a hard day, right? He says that, um, when he's talking about being naked and being unclothed, it's really just talking about just the, the, the feeling or the burden of living this life apart from Christ. And when we're reunited with Jesus, it will be like putting on that heavenly dwelling, like coming home from a hard day. Some people slip into their sweats. Some people put on a robe. The, the, the imagery is obviously right there, the robe of righteousness, but this is comfort and this acceptance. And you take a deep breath and I made it. And a new body and a new life with Christ covered in his righteousness. No groaning in heaven, no tears, no pain, 
brand new, completely whole bodies. Now, the huge part of this section is this verse in chapter five. And it was amazing. I was talking with a a family this week and they said, this is the thing that has held them together. In verse five, it says that he's given us this spirit as a guarantee, this free gift, this promise. It's been referred to as the engagement ring, the down payment that one day every single one of us in here who knows Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, every single one of us is promised to have the greatest celebration with the bridegroom that you could ever imagine. We We cannot even picture or imagine this week, just this week in this church body, there's been several people who've lost family members. I got a text from one that said, today's the greatest day that they will ever have, being united with Jesus for all eternity. When you think about those of you who have gotten engaged, you think back to those early days of being engaged. I don't know about you guys, but it motivated me. I lived differently. I lived with a hopeful anticipation of what my future was gonna be like so much hope and so much anticipation that it changed me. It actually changed how I lived. I wanted to be the best husband to my wife, Selena. And God willing, Lord, one day if I have kids, I want to be the best version of that. Being engaged and thinking about that future actually changed my behavior. It changed how I looked at my life. So I met with this family this past week and they said, this verse, this section of scripture they, this is a family that they experienced just unimaginable loss. And I didn't even tell them that I'd been kind of studying through this. And they said, I, I want to share something with you. And they went to write to the scripture. And I was like, oh my goodness. And they said, this right here in verse five, we have this guarantee. Once you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have a guarantee. You have a promise, a guarantee that this is your future. They said this is what got them through. Now on a side note, a lot of discussion with many of you, in fact, right before service, there are a lot of people that I'm meeting with and talking with that struggle with either hopelessness or anxiety or despair. Um, It's a constant conversation it seems like lately. I don't think it's a stretch to say that scriptures like this, if we were mindful and paid attention to them, we could remind ourselves that this is a temporary existence and that there is a king who sits on the throne who has promised us a better day is coming. One author put it this way. He said, the Western American church is so glutted in the second-rate happiness of this world that we are so full, we cannot even hunger after God. I have felt that at times. I, I have felt that. I, I never get sick. I got sick for like the first time in like five years uh, a couple months ago. And I was just like, what is happening? What is going on with me? Why am I experiencing this? I'm a tent right now. I hear hor- horrific, just terrible things that are happening to people or in this community recently even. And I'm like, what? No way. How does that happen? 
This is a temporary world that is broken. I should not be shocked or surprised by these things. I think it would be good for us to consider the temporal existence that we're in. There's a thing called exposure therapy. Um, I'm not a psychologist, clearly, but in exposure therapy, the things that you're feeling anxious or nervous or worried about, if you can expose yourself to those things, it doesn't necessarily change that you will have those reactions, but what it does is it, it builds up this courage in you where you can actually face it. I think us being reminded that, man, life can be really good at times, but it is temporary. Being exposed to that idea is so healthy and good for us. Let's continue on. Verse six. Paul says now, so we are always of good courage because we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Verse eight, yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Just like Dan said, man, we're living in these cracked vessels. We're living in these tents right now. Paul says, we would, we would much rather be with Jesus. That'd be way better. But we're here now, and we're gonna be of good courage with that. There's been a moment or two in my life not many, I will say not many, but there's been a couple moments where I, I have been like, Lord, I would go to heaven right now, right now. Um, there were a couple moments during COVID where I was just like, I, I don't wanna hear about another loss right now. There was a moment about 15 years ago where I woke up in the middle of the night and I felt like somebody had a six inch dagger in my back. I did, I've never experienced this. I crawled to the bathroom I came back into the room, I told my wife, I said, I gotta go to the hospital. I don't know what is going on, but I gotta go to the hospital. So she took me to the hospital. It was progressively getting worse and worse and worse. I didn't stop for anybody. I got to the doors of the emergency room and I just started knocking on the glass. And they're like paperwork and they're like pointing and I'm like, no, I'm dying. I need in there. I'm not going, and they're like, no, no, no. I'm like, no, 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 I need that in there right now. I need in these doors. They just let me in. I told them, they, gave, they started giving me morphine. I'm like, give me anything. I'm a person that hates medicine. I'm like, give me anything. And I was laying there on the bed. And I remember thinking, Lord, like if I had to deal with this any longer, I would much rather be in your presence than deal with the pain of this earthly tent right now. It was so bad. It was kidney stones. It was kidney stones. The nurse came in at the end and she's like, you know, she's like, yeah, she goes, I've given birth and I've had kidney stones. And actually I'll say like the kidney stones were worse. And I looked at my wife and I'm like, I am not going to say that. She said it. I'm not going to say that. We'll just leave it at that. I wasn't faking. <clears throat> There's a good reason for this perspective though. In James 1, it says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Allow perseverance to finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Why? Why is that important? 
because of what Paul says right here in verse 10, that we will appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat. This is not the moment where you are judged for your sins. That's been taken care of. If you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have repented, asked for forgiveness, turned from those things, you've been made new. This is different. This is the Bema seat. About 15, 20 years ago, archaeologists discovered an actual Bema seat in Corinth. And it was a place of judgment where a ruling would be brought down. They would also use it for the Isthmus Games. It was like the Olympics. So the athlete that won their event, they would go to the Bema seat. Whoever was presenting at the time, they would, you know, they would bow. They would put their gold medal, their silver medal, their bronze medal, whatever it would be, over them. This is what we're talking about here. So no matter what you're going through, be of good cheer. This test could be good. Some of us are like, I just want to get into heaven. You know, I don't really care about the medals and everything. Trust me, you're going to care. It's going to be one of those things where we're like, oh my, this is amazing. What a blessing to get this. And if we go back into 1 Corinthians 3, we'll realize that there's some things that we've done in our lives that we're pretty proud of that will burn like wood, hay, and stubble. There's things we'll be crowned with or, or rewarded for that we didn't even know about. The, doing it for the least of these. The things that we just, re, we just reacted. We didn't want any, we didn't plan it out. We didn't like, it wasn't to get any attention. We just did it. Those are the things that are gonna stand. We all have to, as the Bible say, says, walk circumspectly, undoubtedly, we have all had a moment, myself included, where what I was doing in the name of the Lord was probably somehow trying me, trying to work something for my benefit. Those things won't stand in this moment. It's going to be the things that were just personal that we did for Jesus. <clears throat> Next section here, verse 11. Therefore, Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but we, what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Paul is saying, Paul is saying here, there's a group of people outside the church in Corinth that really threw some questions towards the church about Paul. This guy who's like chosen by God and just look at his life. He's always thrown in jail and beat up and like, look at him, really? Like, you think that's what you wanna follow? And Paul's saying, listen, it's not the outward appearance. We get it. We're, if you're gonna boast about something, boast about what the Lord is doing in our hearts. He says, it's the fear of the Lord, really more a reverence and an awe for the powerful and mighty God that Paul knows. That's what Paul wants them to get. I love how Paul is always saying, just a side note, he's always saying we are known to God, not that we know God. Paul is always saying we are known to God. And I love that because it, there's probably been a moment in your life where there's somebody that you probably respect or look up to, and, and you find out that they actually know you. You thought you just knew them. You think about that moment and you're like, oh, 
Paul talks about the creator of the universe, God Almighty, knowing him. If you have a relationship with our Father in heaven, you are known to him. I think we take that too lightly. The most awesome being in existence knows your name. It's mind-blowing. It should be motivating as well. Verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us. Not just our love for Christ, it's Christ, it's the love of Christ that controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The love of Christ demonstrated through the cross and then the power of the resurrection. That's the key. That's what Paul's saying here. The love of Christ demonstrated on the cross. And then he said he was going to raise himself through the resurrection three days later, and he did that. That's what Paul says is motivating me. Resurrection power. His love for us demonstrated on the cross. His power demonstrated through his resurrection. That's what motivates ministry. When you understand and get that, Jesus loved me this much, and Jesus has this much power that he did that, I wanna live my life for him. I want my life to be about Jesus. Find it, whatever it is, find your ministry. Like that beaver up there doing, building dams out of anything. You find your thing. Jordan Peterson says, the thing that bugs you, that you're like, man, somebody's gotta fix this, somebody's gotta take care of that. The thing that's always on your mind, that's your thing to do. The lost and broken and hurt, wherever they are in Grant's past or in your life, those are the people that God is calling you to minister to. Those are, that is your ministry. It's in front of you. You're, it's on your mind. You're thinking about it. For me, it has been 20 plus years, Proverbs 29, 18. I cannot shake it as a teacher, working with kids in the community, working with youth, working with families. I cannot shake Proverbs 29, 18, where it says, where there is no hope, the people perish. To see a person without hope is something that motivates me to ministry. It's why I taught. It's why I helped in youth ministry. It's why I meet with families. I don't want to see families give up. I don't want to see marriages give up. I don't want to see kids give up. I don't want to see dads give up. That's where I find my, it's the wind in my sail. And you all have that ability. Some of you are experiencing it now. Some of you are living it out. Some of you are trying to find what it is. It is the thing that will motivate your ministry, the absolute, the wind in your sail that will drive you. That's when you will find that you can overcome moments of anxiousness and worry and questions is when you get that, when you find that. For me, it's one thing uh, lately that I've, you know, a, two, three, four years ago, working with families and working with dads and working with kids and stuff, I was just like, man, we need, in this community, we need men to lead. In this church, we need men to lead. They're capable of doing it. They can do it. They've been equipped. They've got everything they need. They're just not doing it. And so one of the things after talking with a few of you guys, we, there's several of you guys that are helping me lead these things. We're doing this thing called Game Changers. And Matt talks about judo theology in uh, Genesis 50, 20, what the enemy intended for evil, God is 
used for good to the saving of many souls. And as I look around at a broken world, I'm like, if men believe that Jesus has the power to resurrect himself, they will also believe that he has the power to use them in this community to change the game. To not worry about what's going on with Oregon state legislation. To not worry about what's going on with social media. To not worry about what's going on or whatever law. But say, I'm gonna be somebody who lives out the gospel in my home. I'm gonna be somebody who serves in my church. I'm gonna be somebody who makes a difference in this community. And a shameless plug, I'm inviting you, if you're a man 15 and up, to come April 23rd to that Game Changers. That's the next one. We have a Navy SEAL that elders graciously approved um, us booking him months and months ago. He's coming up from Southern California. He's gonna share his testimony about um, fighting in Afghanistan and just the anger he dealt with and seeing people he loved killed and then going and hearing Greg Glory speak at a Harvest Crusade and just the transformation in his heart of forgiveness. And he's gonna come share, um, invite guys. It's a great thing to invite somebody who doesn't know the Lord to that. They're just like, hey, there's a Navy SEAL. He's gonna come talk about being in the Navy SEALs. Okay, cool, I'm gonna come to that. And then they're gonna get saved. That's what's gonna happen, all right? So just bring him here. <clears throat> Verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we, we, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Before Jesus resurrected, he was just a guy walking around in the flesh. Now he says, we have seen him differently. We also see those who have been changed differently now. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So, it says before the re resurrection, they viewed, they viewed Jesus through the flesh. And then Jesus says, after I ascend, I have to leave. I'm going to ascend. And then I'm going to send you my spirit. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And he says, you're going to do greater things than me, which that seems impossible. It seems impossible. And I didn't really used to get it. But then I remembered Jesus wasn't a parent. And I became a parent, and there was one night, just one time, in 22 years of being a parent, that I got all three of my kids to eat all their dinner, take a bath, brush their teeth, go to bed on time, all without fighting. Well, wait, I didn't do that. I saw my wife do that. But it was very powerful. <clears throat> a new creation, saved. The Bible talks about salvation. Salvation means salvaged salvaged, like Cascade or Grants, what is it, uh, the metal recycle place? Like the, the scrap metal down there. Sca yeah, like salvaged that. Like that's, we have been salvaged. So we, before Christ, were one of those scraps of metal. And then Jesus came into our life and took it out and made a Lamborghini or a Bentley or a Ford F-350 King Ranch, whatever it is. Every time you drive by that, I want you to remember before Jesus, that's what you were. And now you're, if you have a King Ranch, that's awesome, that's what you are now, but just picture that. That is the power of Jesus. <clears throat> so are you changed? Have you become a new creation? 
My, my grandpa, my mom is the first generation immigrant, is a first generation immigrant. Everybody else in her family was born in Ireland. And so my grandpa left. He was fighting for the freedom of the north of Ireland against the British. He actually escaped prison. He was one of the British's top five most wanted men. He, had, he actually had to leave the country because he was fighting for their freedom. And he had a wife and uh, he had a wife and two kids. One actually was still in the womb. And they said, you, for your safety, you need to leave. So he said, I'm going to America. And he told his wife, my grandma, I'll, I'll, I'm gonna send back for you. But he had to leave Ireland. He actually had to leave his whole, whole name and everything. And he came over on a ship and went through Ellis Island. And I, it's a crazy story. He took like a train to like Wyoming and then a horse from like Wyoming to uh, like Portland or something and then down to Roseburg and then worked in the timber industry. And when he got there, when he got to Ellis Island, they said, you need a new name. You're not gonna be um, Brian McRory anymore. You're gonna be Bernard Rogers. That's your new name. And so he actually lived two separate lives he at one point was in Ireland as Brian McGrory, freedom fighter for Ireland. And then he lived the second half of his life as Bernard Rogers, avid fisherman, worked in the timber industry, amazing grandpa. But he actually had a totally new existence. That's the picture for us, that we leave the old life 100% completely behind. We don't hop back on the ship and go back over and live in both worlds. We take on a completely new identity. <clears throat> the old is past. Now, we got that guarantee. We got that promise. We got the spirit to help us change. We grow in the fruit of the spirit. Galatians 5.22, love and joy and peace and patience, kindness generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those, thi those things, they start to embody, those things start to become who we are as we become a new creation. We're not gonna get it all right away. It's not just like, boom, and I've got it all figured out. You guys know this, right? But we should be making progress. We should be gaining those things. Verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22 says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. He has now made us new and then reconciled us to him. We were foreigners outside of his land. We were exiled. We were Babylon. We were sojourners. We were outside of Eden. And then through Jesus's redeeming work on the cross and you putting your faith in him, repenting of the old, taking on the new, you now have been given citizenship, reconciled back 
to God, made a citizen in his kingdom. And the most beautiful thing about this reconciliation and the invitation for anyone is it's kind of like what Dan was talking about last week. People should look at Christians and just go, what? I think Matt touched on it a little bit on Sunday. Checking your wallet with the guy sitting next to you, right? Every messy, broken, awkward, disconnected, outcast, useless person through Christ is given citizenship, brought into the kingdom, given a new life, given a new purpose, given a job. Paul just said, listen, it's not so that you can boast about us, but our God. And then it says, he's entrusted this message with us. We are messengers. Just like this beaver up here, a sojourner. Not in, its, not in its ideal place, right? That's not where a beaver would choose to live. But he's still doing what he's supposed to do. It goes back to verse 10. We will stand before the Bema seat. We will give an account for how we live this life. We want to see people reconciled back to God. I heard a pastor say one time, it's not that you don't know enough. You got all you need to know. And he said, it's not that some people simply know more, although that can be true. It's more often that some people just do more with what they know. Some people are just out there. They're just preaching. They're just living it. And that's what we should be doing. Verse 20 says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Ambassadors. It means a representative to a foreign country. That's what an ambassador is. We are living in a foreign land. It should feel more and more foreign to the Christian as we see the days go on, right? We are in a foreign land living as a representative. When I was teaching, I would share about, um, it was really cool because I was a history teacher. So I got to share some things about Judaism and Christianity and Greek culture and stuff. And there's a word used Um, similar to being a representative, it's icos or icon, and it's kind of um, connected to image. And and the Bible says that we are image bearers or we are made in the image of God. And it's to share with kids that um, like when you would go from kingdom to kingdom, there would be like a standard, they call it a standard because it would be like a pole or whatever, and on it would be a face of that king. And that was the icon for the kingdom. As you went in, you would see that that's what this kingdom represented. And then we use the word icon today. You think of like an American icon. It's somebody who represents something. You have an icon on your phone. It's a picture. When you click on it, boom, you see everything that it's about. And so should our lives be the same. When somebody clicks on you, your icon should represent Christ. Our lives should expand as an ambassador in a foreign land, the more someone gets to know us, the more they watch us, the more they hear us talk, we should be representing the kingdom. That's sometimes easier said than done. I heard Mike Sampson at the men's group last week say, we've got a lot of people that are willing to confess their sins, but very few are willing to repent from it 
and live differently. People have got to see a difference in us. We are a culture that loves to talk about the grace and forgiveness and love of God, and it is powerful and it is true. But we should also be a changed people. In Titus 2, it tells us what we should be like. It says, older men should be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. We don't talk a lot about how we should act, do we? It says older women should be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slaves to much wine. Teach what is good. Young women love their husbands and children, be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their husbands and to the word of God, and so the word of God may not be reviled. I love what it says to teach young men. It just says, teach young men to be self-controlled. Laundry list of all these things for everybody. If you can get a young man to be self-controlled, that's amazing. You're winning right there. Yeah, that's good. There's an author named Vody Bauckham too, but he takes it a step further when he, when he talks about how we should live in the kingdom. And he says this, he says that there's a, there's a mandate for elders in the church because they're supposed to be an example. And he says, if they're supposed to be an example, then we as the body of Christ should be desiring to live like that. We shouldn't come to church and say, well, that person's a pastor or that person's an elder and they're at a different place or they're at a different, or that person serves and blah, blah, blah. Every single one of us should know that we have the ability, then we should couple that with the desire to live in that manner. And here's how an elder should live. It says they should be the husband of one wife. Their children are believers, not guilty of debauchery, which means excessive indulgence in sexual behaviors, not be insubordinate. They should be above reproach, which means you'd like somebody couldn't say something about you that was kind of suspicious and people actually believe it. If somebody said like, oh yeah, I saw Mark Scudstad out at the bar last week. Man, he couldn't even drive. He had to get a taxi home. Every single person that knows Mark would say, that's crazy. No, that's not, that's not even true. There's no way I would believe that. Not a drunkard, not arrogant, not quick-tempered, hospitable, a lover of God, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. They should know the word of God and they should rebuke those who contradict it. That should be what we're striving to live for as a Christian, as an ambassador in Jesus' kingdom. That's it. In our home, with our children, every day when we would drop them off at school, my wife would say, shine the light. Matthew 5, 16 was a family verse of ours for a long time. Let your let your light so shine before men that people may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Live your life in such a way that it shines and that people see it. And they see Jesus. They don't see you, they see Jesus. There were some mornings she would drop them off and they would cut her off and they would say, we know, Mom, shine the lights, we got it. Those kind of mornings, you know. Our second son is up at U of O and he called us a couple weeks ago and they go down and they play basketball with like hundreds of guys across all these basketball courts in this new rec center. And he called me, they don't call us very much, but he calls us and he's like, dad, dad, I got invited to this Bible study. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And he's all, it was just, it was, it was weird though. I like, we we're playing basketball 
And just out of nowhere, this guy came up to me after the game and he's like, hey, what's your name? It's Owen, right? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, hey, I'm doing a Bible study with a few other guys in the morning at nine and I just wanted to invite you. And my son was like, I've never talked to this guy. I've never seen him before. I don't know where he came from. He's just out there on the basketball courts. And my wife, he's on speakerphone. My wife is all, shine the light, Owen. (laughs) You are shining the light. That was it. Like he could see it on you. He could tell by the way you were living your life. Like you were just, you know, other people were probably mad and cussing or whatever, like a lot of college kids might do. But whatever it was you were doing, he was able to see Jesus through you. That was a victory, right? Uh, I will say, I mean, we were nervous about Eugene and, and U of O and all that stuff. They, when you want to be around Christians, when you desire that, you will find it. There are multiple Christian groups on campus. Our boys are involved in serving and like youth groups and like, I'm so thankful that we have people who are ambassadors in those places, actively pursuing in the dark spots of this world, actively pursuing people to share this message of hope. Finishes in verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the most beautiful, motivating truth that that propels Paul's ministry. It is this love of Christ that perfect beauty took the form of, of those wrecked, worthless scraps of metal down the road so that we could become perfect and beautiful and blameless and beautiful in his sight. Amen. Let's give thanks. Father God, we thank you. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for making us new. We thank you for the hope that we have in heaven. We thank you for the guarantee, the spirit as a guarantee that these things are true. That to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That one day the groanings and the the sigh, ah, the pain and the hurt and the questions, the anxiety, all of those things will be no more. We will experience peace like we have never known in your presence. I pray in the meantime that we would live as ambassadors of this ministry of reconciliation, telling a lost and broken world that there is hope for them, that they can be brought into the kingdom of God, that they can be given citizenship in the simplest of ways, putting their faith and trust in the one and only Jesus Christ, the only way through which man can be saved. Burden our hearts with that. Give us vision to see the lost. Put that wind in every single one of us, every single one of our sails. Give us a passion to see lost people saved and redeemed and reconciled with their father. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. God bless you guys.